Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ask AI podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Kahn. It's been a busy fall here with lots going on in the artificial intelligence sector, both here in Toronto and the rest of Canada. In our event on AI and healthcare, we actually held that November 8th in Toronto. It was a sold-out event with over 150 people. It's a big success. We had tons of different people from across the healthcare sector and in artificial intelligence on stage speaking about what they're doing. Lightning talks, keynotes, a panel. It was fantastic. So thanks to everyone who attended our third event. We had a lot of enthusiasts out and a lot more to come. I want to say a special thanks to our hosts, Top Hat, our main sponsors, Next AI, Snap Clarity, and Iconic Brewing Company, as well as our community partner, Ada. These companies all helped make that evening really, really fun, free, and an educational success. So thanks again to everyone who took part. And now on to our episode today. Our guest on this episode is Osge Yelolu. Osge is the data and AI lead at Microsoft Canada, the co-founder of Toplog, and she's also a PhD candidate at the Dalhousie University Faculty of Computer Science, where she also served as the president of the Women in Technology Society. Originally from Turkey, Osge brings a unique perspective to data science and how AI is impacting work culture and the very way that we live. Osge, welcome to the Ask AI podcast. Hi, Jackson. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're so welcome. So I'd love to just dive right in. You've got so much to share, and I just find your personal story, it's so fascinating. And I think you've both had, you know, this real physical journey across the world and in so many different places that you've been and lived, as well as a major educational journey to, to get to where you are today. And I'm wondering if we could start off by having you share with our listeners just a bit about your background and how you came to be working here in Canada and with Microsoft. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, as you said, I'm from Turkey. I did my computer engineering degree as an undergrad in Turkey. Um, and during that time, I was um, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life as any undergrad student, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and during my last year at the university, like I had to do this uh, honors thesis and uh, everybody was doing like this, like uh, server applications. It was the thing in early 2000s. And I didn't want to do that. And one of my professors, he pushed this book in front of me and it was called Neural Networks. Um, and I, I was always fascinated by genetics and biology. So I picked it up and I started reading it and I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so this was 2004. Again, like it, the AI wasn't as sexy as today. Um, and I just did a, like, a, you know, like simple application using neural networks uh, as part of my analysis. And I realized how much I enjoyed it, actually. Um, and then I decided to do a master's degree uh, focusing on machine learning. Um, and my options were Germany or Canada uh, at that time uh, because I knew some German. I don't anymore. <laughs> uh, but uh, And I was looking around, and coincidentally, one of our uh, alumni from my Turkish university, I, I realized she was teaching in Canada, oh, wow. and I reached out to her. And again, coincidentally, her research lab was actually doing the exact same thing that I wanted to do. Uh, for my master's, and that's how I ended up at Dahas University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, that's usually one question that I would always get 
like they're like, what? How did you even end up at Tallahassee? <laughs> like Toronto is the most common place, right? They're like, what were you doing in Halifax? But so that's how I ended up there. I did my master's degree um, again, neural networks, and the focus area was uh, network security and intrusion detection. Um, and I continued with a PhD degree. But I uh, realized that PhD was not as fun as the master's because all of a sudden you realize after two years of research, you get so deep into something that you're the only person in the world who cares about that something. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you and three other people. Yeah. Well, awesome. in, actually, after two, three years, living supervisors, your supervisors care about it, but they don't really know as much as you do at some point, right? Um, so it's it was very lonely, and I was actually struggling. I was really struggling with PhD at that point because of that fact. Um, and we decided to start a company. Uh, two of my colleagues uh, from my PhD lab, uh, one was actually graduating, and um, and he was looking for jobs. And I told him he was out of your, his mind because he had an awesome thesis that he should take it to market himself. And then it was the day three of us decided to start a company and we were probably one of the first startups in Halifax at that time. Uh, so we ran that for three years. That was fun while it lasted <laughs> and we couldn't become the billion dollar company that everybody wants to be uh, and had to pull the plug. And right after that, I joined Microsoft. So that's, that's the short, shorter version of my story, I guess. I was going to ask you more about specifically about your field of work at Dalhousie, uh, yeah. even though you mentioned it's so specific, a bit about what you're doing there and, and even your experience in sort of leading the, uh, the women in tech society there. Yeah, 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 for sure. So one clarification, like I actually, like I am officially a dropout, so yep. I'm not continuing my PhD We still anymore. want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify that. Yep, yep. Um, but no, what I was doing, and again, like during master's degree, I did uh, neural networks on intrusion detection area, and then PhD, I uh, was more focused on the text analytics part of the things, and I was specifically looking at um, expertise modeling and matching. So uh, looking at, say, uh, publications and can I, you know, like, can I read through this publication and actually figure out um, what topics are mentioned in this uh, publication and who are the right experts in this area and such. Um, so that's what I was looking at. Um, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, it was. Actually, it was, it was a good applied research. Um, but... Yeah, it was not intriguing eventually. But uh, with the Women Technology Society, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because before coming to Canada, honestly, I never really realized that being a woman in technology was an issue. Um, and it's interesting yeah. coming from a country like Turkey, people usually think it, it will be worse, but... It wasn't, at least when I was doing it, because it was something, you know, like computer engineering was a degree that you would just make good money and girls would actually pick that to be independent, you know. <laughs> uh, but I realized it's here, it's actually much a bigger problem. And there was the uh, society started uh, Dahazi in 
um, I became a part of it. And I probably was with the society one way or shape, president, vice president, or board member for a few years. Um, it was a great experience, actually. Uh, it opened my eyes uh, to many of the issues that I didn't think it was there. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to mentor some of our undergrads and even watch them going to like Google's, Microsoft's of the world and um, become awesome females in technology. Uh, it, it was a great experience. And because of that experience, I'm still very much involved with um, uh, women technology or women in business groups. Um, I actually mentor high school girls. Um, there's a program called GEM. Uh, Geminar. Um, so I I work with them as well, mentoring high school girls to get into STEM um, degrees. Um, yeah. That's so incredible, particularly that you've continued on that work and that investment in the community, um, despite all the different career achievements that, that you're working on. Um, also really interesting to hear the cultural difference and reflections on how you know, very much sort of out in Turkey. Um, I know even, you know, I think other parts in the Middle East, particularly I know Iran, produces a lot of, um, yeah. particularly, I did want to ask you, I, there isn't a single major industry that isn't being transformed by AI right now. And a lot of people are talking about how we're not even going to be able to skill, fill the skills gap fast enough. So I'm wondering, in your opinion, what AI is going to entail for the future of work, specifically employment? Um, that's not an easy question to answer, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I am more on the hopeful uh, group. <laughs> um, I mean, skills gap, I, I, I actually don't think we will have skills gap, to be honest. Like right now, there is a lot of interest um, from our like younger folks, like say either college students or um, students trying to get there or new grads or even many people trying to look into uh, new career opportunities in AI. Right. Um, and it's still a new space and field and the, the roles, responsibilities are still not clearly defined. Um, but I do believe it's actually an exciting time to be a part of that um, definition, so to speak. So I don't know if I agree with the skills gap. Um, I do believe that we'll, especially in Canada. Uh, I, I think we're very, very lucky in Canada being the, I, I truly believe we are the AI hub of the world. Um, so we're lucky from that perspective. On the other side, from the employment perspective, like in how AI will affect the workplace, like from Microsoft perspective, like we're truly believing and working towards AI augmenting the human skills. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so when we look from that perspective, we actually look at AI as the enabler in the workplace. Like simple examples, I, 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 I'm pretty sure everyone is using PowerPoint, right? Like um, if I don't know if you noticed recently when you're doing your PowerPoint slides, there's actually a new designer on this side these days on the right hand side, which gives mm -hmm. you different options to design your PowerPoint. And in the end, it is it might be a little AI in the background, but that's how we're you're in, seeing AI being integrated or um, like in Outlook, we have the option for like, say, um, my analytics and it actually the part that I really love it actually uh, checks your emails and reminds you if you said someone hey say like Jackson I will get that document to you by the end of today 
And if you haven't, it actually gives you a little nudge saying that, hey, you promised Jackson to send this document. Have you done it yet? Right. Um, so in the end, these are all like really simple examples of how AI can be used in the workplace and how it can be actually and it should be used to augment the human skills. Super interesting. Um, I, I think that some of the tactical examples you mentioned of, you know, what's actually changing, even in, you know, someone's day-to-day, things in, things in PowerPoint, things in Outlook, mm-hmm. I think that's already going to probably be having a profound effect on people. What do you think is going to happen more broadly in work culture, given that some of these changes are happening? You've got intelligent agents and software. You've got software sometimes making decisions for you. How do you think company cultures are going to change? Um, I, I find it's it's almost like the human side than the technology, right? Like, and um, I was uh, I was sitting through this uh, workshop the other day and it was all about understanding the uh, generations, right? Like the uh, generational groups, like say millennials, Gen Xs, baby boomers, and this and that. Like, I really think um, how it's going to change the workplace will be actually almost like looking at those generations and it's more like how it will affect those generations. Like if you ask a millennial, uh, like a Gen Y, I think these things will just come so easy and naturally to them. Right. Um, Even like, say like my generation, the Gen Xers, like, we might not have grown up with technology. Like I didn't even have a computer when I actually got into the computer engineering degree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but you know, like I, you were used to it. And now I don't want to stay on the phone when I need to call uh, any company, either it's my bank or it's my phone company or it's the delivery that I'm expecting that day, right? Like, I, I don't want to stay on the phone and wait for that person to pick up the phone in the next 15 minutes. Instead, I actually love using that chatbot or the conversational agent, whatever we're calling them today, right? Like, I love just sending a message and I know in 30 seconds someone is just going to write me, either if it's an automated <laughs> Uh, person in the back end or a real person, but I don't need to worry about it, right? Like as long as I get that answer in time and in fast, in in a timely manner and in correct uh, manner, um, that's all I care. And when you think about it, Gen X and Gen Ys, like this is almost like very natural to those um, generations. And it's and from the other generation perspective, I think it's just going to be a little bit of um, education, a little bit of um, getting used to it. But it's all about, um, in the end, it's all about the design as well, right? And I think we're really getting good at um, that UI, UX perspective, how people use things. So when we look at, uh, if you ask me, when I look at conversational agents, I don't really think them as AI. I actually think them as the new way of interacting with the application, right? So to me, it's it's more on the UI, UX side than in the intelligence side. To me, intelligence side is actually easy. It's how we're using it and how we're keeping human in the loop with these technologies, as long as we keep the humans in mind as the priority, Mm -hmm. um, I think that transition will be easy. 
Yeah, I love your framing around how maybe this is simply a new interface at some level. Um, I always find those reports fascinating about how millennials actually prefer texting to talking to real humans. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I don't quite relate sometimes there, but uh, I mean, I do think it's interesting. I mean, that so many chatbots, for example, have evolved, and and those seem to be one of the primary ways that companies now are communicating, and mm -hmm. and how much is happening over SMS. Um, I mean, I, I wonder too, like how deep is this going to go with these virtual assistants? I mean, are we going to get them to be approving our budgets for us? Um, I mean, I, I, I think if the action that we want to take is very black and white, you know, like approving budgets, yeah, it's, it's, I guess I would say it's probably black and white. It's either yes or no. Like as long as there are no gray areas in the decision process, I don't see any problems with that, to be honest. Like in, in my mind, like and some people hate me, might hate me saying this, but in my mind, anything can be automated should be automated, right? Like I bought Roomba. Four years ago, <laughs> because Early my mom, yeah. you know, like vacuum cleaning is not bringing any value to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so why wouldn't I let a machine do that, right? So that's my thought process usually. Um, and in this case, if the virtual assistant's decision is, we know it will be either yes or no, and there's not there's not a gray area in between. Um, I think we should, um, but whenever there is that gray area, whenever you need that human justification or like mindset or questioning mindset more like it, um, I think those are the parts that we really need to be much more careful and take our time before putting virtual assistance in those spaces. That's such a great point. I think specifically around the intentionality of, you know, what, where and what are we replacing and when. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, this is a particularly huge conversation, it seems like, within the Canadian context, but is, you know, how do we really define our responsibility um, within AI, you know, developing responsible AI or ethical AI is sometimes talked about. I want to understand, so what's your general perspective there and framework about how we should be going about doing that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something really – I'm kind of watching closely and also um, trying to speak at the conferences. We just talked about it actually this Wednesday at the Toronto Machine Learning Summit. Uh, we had a panel with some awesome panelists uh, around talking about responsible AI. Um, I truly believe that we need to have a strategy and framework uh, when we're building our AI solutions. And um, obviously, and, and some of these things are like, you know, like security, data security, uh, privacy, accountability, like who's going to be accountable with the actions of this solution, right? Um, and is it like the data scientist building the machine learning model or is it the application developer building the front end or the UI person or the CEO of the company? You know, like mm -hmm. if, if something goes wrong with this AI model, like who will be accountable um, and who should be? Right. Um, so accountability, data, uh, privacy, security um, and and also looking at bias. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think bias is a big issue in AI right now. And unfortunately, none of these questions have the answers 
right? I mean, there are a lot of answers, but what is the right answer? We don't know it yet um, because this is such a new area. There's no regulations, rules around it. Um, but that doesn't mean just because there are no rules and regulations, we should just play the wild, wild west, right? Um, in the end, like these uh, applications will be in our everyday lives. Um, so how we train these applications, I honestly is as important as how we train our kids these days. Like, are, do we want to... And some some might say, like, say, uh, we have gender bias. We have had gender bias in our culture for decades. And now I was feeling like as a society, we're getting to a better place um, with the gender bias and kind of getting rid of that bias. But when you look at the data, the bias is there because that's what we had. So do we actually clean the data and get rid of that bias or do we actually create some sort of like um, online learning that yes, the machine might learn that in the last 20 years there was gender bias and all the doctors were he and all the nurses were she. <laughs> um, <laughs> typical, yeah. a typical translator fail, failure basically on our online translators today. Um, or, or do we clean it and get rid of that bias, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer. I don't know which one is the better answer, right? But there are definitely things that we have to think when we're uh, building these applications. And, and the best way to do it, include more people around you. Like mm -hmm. I always say, the more diverse your team, the, the better your solutions are going to be. Um, and it does, it's not just he or she, it's just like, uh, you know, like all kinds of diversity and diverse mindset than the physical diversity, right? Um, because if I'm thinking one way, if you're thinking another way, it's really healthy to get into a debate and figure out what's actually going to be the best way for millions of people. Okay, I think this is my favorite interview yet. I just get to shut up, and you're awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep it short, but you're asking all the good questions this that is, I'd love to talk about for hours. <laughs> I, I think this is the best ever. Um, this is great, audio issues included, because uh, I just get to be quiet. You have everything. This is so cool. I, one of my favorite points that I think I've ever heard someone make was what you just said right now, which was, Almost like, you know, there, do we retrospectively apply, you know, modern day ethics um, as, as a means of actually ensuring that an algorithm, you know, is, is, is yeah. you, you know, void of bias? And I think that's such an interesting framing of it. Um, I really, really love that. I did also want to double back to one of the topics that you specifically mentioned, because obviously it's in the news all the time right now. It's affecting our governments, it's affecting our societies, and even projects happening right here in Toronto. But it's the idea of how do we protect privacy especially in an economy that is increasingly fueled by more access to personal data. Yeah, that's a, again, that's a tough one, but it's a super important one, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. security and privacy are definitely important issues um, for everyone. And if not, it should be, right? I, and I think there are two sides to that conversation. One, um, how educated are we as human beings? Like, forget you're building AI, using AI, or whatever. But mm -hmm. how educated are we when we actually click yes to that agreement that nobody reads, right? And it, <laughs> and it 
most likely says they're going to share your data with the third-party applications, and that third party is never clearly defined, and you have no idea where that data is going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're getting there as society, but slowly, right? I think, first of all, as a society, we should actually be much more careful and thoughtful of our data. Like, I started thinking in the last year, do I really need that game that I'm going to click yes to that? And there has been many times, like whenever I get those like five pages data privacy agreements that I have to agree, sometimes I don't. And I just decide not not to download that app or download that game on my phone or whatever it is, right? Sounds like a lot of games. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes you just just need to make that decision as the owner of the data. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's the education that we need to go through and be more careful about and thoughtful about. And the other side is the technology companies, right? I mean, technology companies definitely getting better, especially the bigger ones, like say the Microsofts of the world and such, um, because now we're seeing how bad it hurts them with the bad PR. Eventually, if something mm-hmm. bad happens, like the Facebook example most recently, right? Or the not most recently, but I guess the biggest one that we would all remember these days. Um, and what kind of PR did it create for the company? But so for Microsoft, it's not just that, but it's like the true data privacy and data integrity. And I know this is actually being built in our products and services and such as well, especially with the push of GDPR in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To be able to comply with GDPR in Europe, I know we had to, as a company, um, look into our technology stack, our products and services, and make sure that we are actually compliant. And what that means is like once we're compliant with GDPR, um, which is kind of the highest level of compliance today for data privacy, um, then it's already in our tools. It's already in our products and services, right? So now we can actually use the same tools and services in Canada or wherever in the world and make sure that we still have the same uh, care for uh, our users' data. So it is very important, but did we, again, like solve how to do it? No. Are we going to solve it anytime soon? No, but it's not the technology. Again, like, as I I said, like, from a technology perspective, I know Microsoft is 100% behind us and we're doing everything, but if humans keep accepting that, agreement, <laughs> mm-hmm. the data is just going to keep going wherever, right? So I think as, as society, we really need to get more educated on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with you in, in terms of prizing citizen responsibility effectively above all else. Obviously, corporate responsibility is, is essential, and I think companies are being held to, you know, more and more account, especially by the yeah. press and, and often by their users. I mean, if you look at that large delete Facebook campaign that went around uh, post all of the election yeah. stuff, I mean, it's a, it's a huge piece with, with real, real consequences. And we've also seen the tech stocks as a whole take a huge dive recently. And so, you yeah. know, I think, I think, but as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of good work is being done. Um, GDPR, I know even for us at Nudge, AI is a small startup, had to do quite a bit. I can't even imagine yeah. for Microsoft or a large corporation having to move mountains. So yeah. I do think there's a lot of positive movements being made. And one argument I even heard is that both in the context of, of privacy, as well as even ethical AI, that Canada 
as a country has a lot of ability to do good work uh, because we, we put such a good role in, on good governance in this country and there's a lot of leadership happening at the federal level. So that's all really, really interesting. Yeah, no, that's true. I actually heard a few people talking about, hey, can Canada be the Switzerland of data? <laughs> <laughs> I love that framing. Yeah. I was like, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Yeah, but hopefully we're not uh, we're not neutral. We take a very positive. Uh, yeah, stance, yeah. But, uh, no, I got it. Such such an interesting topic actually in Canada is we actually have we've got hundreds of AI startups now and probably thousands overall. But there's a, there's a couple of great articles that have come out from some CEOs saying we don't have enough senior level sales and marketing commercialization talent up yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. It's it's tough because typically, I mean, you you, I mean, the demographics of startups, you try to do it right out of school or you know, like as your first job or second job or whatever, and most likely you don't have that kind of experience yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like after after spending a year at Microsoft, and it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, huh. I kept blaming myself, thinking that, you know, like I couldn't do this or that. That's why the startup failed. And I was like, no, it's about enterprise sales. Like enterprise sales take forever. (laughs) You can't just go in as a startup and close a deal in like a month and start selling. Uh, Yeah, learnings. That's so, so interesting. Well, that brings us to about the end of the round of questions. Um, We probably don't have time for too many audience questions. I do see one there. Um, it is a, is a bit kind of like on the edge, so totally up to you if you want to answer this, but it's just about AI um, intellectual property and, and whether, you know, stuff that's produced in Canada, do you think it should stay in Canada or at least have some tie back to Canada? That's a tough one. Um, I don't know. It's kind of, I, I guess it's kind of like good news and bad news kind of thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's good that obviously we're producing some awesome stuff here and people are coming and, you know, like buying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but is it is it staying? Is it leaving? I, I, honestly, I wish I, I had an answer to that. I think my kind of maybe take that question from, I'll take that, uh, maybe I'll answer that question from the human side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I'm actually really happy and excited to see actually how our, um, like, uh, really good people leaving the country because, you know, whatever reasons, they didn't have enough jobs in Canada, they mm-hmm. weren't getting paid well or whatever, and everybody was fleeing to uh, the Bay Area, I actually started seeing the reverse. Like, I met with, like, two folks at the conference um, this Wednesday at the Machine Learning Summit, and one of them was at Amazon, and the other one was at Uber in the Bay Area, and they're like, no, we packed our bags and came back to Toronto because – there is actually really good stuff happening here and we just, and they are Torontonians, you know, and they're like, no, we came back home. And I was like, this is amazing. This is just amazing. Right. So IP again, I don't have a great answer, but at least as far as I see, we're able to keep our people here. And if we're able to keep our people here, I think that IP is going to be resolved eventually as well. I think that's a really, really good way to frame it and answer it. I, I mean, I'm similar. I don't have a, a super firm opinion on the topic. I know there have been some surveys being passed around the community recently. I mean, my thought is simply, you know, there's a lot of companies, including Microsoft, you know, they're announcing $100 million expansions. Yeah. And I, I can't see that being anything but 
good for the community because we've yeah. got more places, as you mentioned, for people to stay, um, you know, versus the brain drain that's typically happened. And, you know, what tends to happen is people often work for those companies. And if they do decide to go start a startup, yeah. they've often gotten some great skills by working with some really, really interesting employers. Um, you know, exactly. Uber's ATG group, that's another great example of, you know, they made a couple hundred million dollar investment here. And I think people are really happy about that. So yeah. I think that's really cool. And, you know, a lot of things that are being developed here, it, it ultimately does put Canada in the spotlight and our people. And I think one of the really interesting stat I saw was, I think it was like over a hundred prominent machine learning scientists and academics have have moved up here or back yeah. up here from the U.S. like in the last few years. It's pretty yes. wild. Yes. Yes, I know. No, I know. It's exciting times. Like we, and luckily, or at least I feel super lucky that I, I picked the right country to be in, in this field. <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> uh, and then, and then winter comes again. Um, oh, well. I, I, uh, I had to ask you one last thing. Yeah. This, is, this is a total sideball. I saw on your Twitter handle that you describe your aspiration in formula when driving and uh-huh. kickboxing. Yeah, that's an interesting combo. Um, <laughs> do you typically do that at the same time? No. <laughs> no, I try not to. You know, while driving, sometimes the, the crazy Turk comes out. <laughs> oh. okay, so, so we should avoid cutting you off on no, the DVD I, I don't know so. if you've ever seen Istanbul drivers, but uh, I try not to do that in Toronto. Um, but no, I think it's just like, and it probably says, I, I haven't checked my Twitter handle recently, but I think it also says a professional cook, right? Um, that I would love to be one day. I, it's honestly those three things that I would, I, it actually the only way that I can keep my mind quiet, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Cooking yeah. and kickboxing and driving. It's just like, I don't really usually think about work or the issues that I want to solve and this and that. And it's just, I have a keep quiet mind and I really enjoy those moments. <laughs> Oh, it's great. I think I've actually already got the name for your autobiography. It's going to be Artificial Intelligence, Formula and Driving and Kickboxing, A Way to Quiet Your Mind. <laughs> there you go. So, big fan. Well, Oscar, I think that's all the time we have for today. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Ask AI podcast today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. This has been an awesome one. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks again. Cool. And I'll just say to the audience, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember that you're welcome to stream, download, or subscribe to all the episodes that we have. Uh, Just visit our website. It's at askai.org slash podcast. And you can stream the episodes and get information on loads of AI startups, influencers, and organizations. If you just talk to our chatbot, you can do that at askai.org slash chatbot. Uh, This is me, Jackson Kahn, your host for today, and thanks so much for listening. This episode's senior producer was Mike Letourneau, and executive producer was Chris McClellan. For more information, please visit our website at askai.org.